The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. Marvelous. This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the part of thunder and rock and roll. The spell you run now. Will be broken by Chris Jericho. The People's Podcast has arrived. Let's go for a ride. Oh, my time has come. Oh, my time has come. People don't fear the reaper. Baby, don't you understand? People, don't you fear the creeper? Baby, won't you take my hand? La, 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 la. La, 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 Woo! Yes, welcome to Talk is Jericho. How the hell are you, Jericho-holics? It's so cool to have you here. I know there's hundreds of thousands of podcasts that you can listen to, and you always schwaz to be here with me today, and I'm always glad when you schwaz to check out my show today. I got MVP coming up from TNA Impact Wrestling, and what a story life he's had, an amazing life, a crazy life, spent over eight years in prison, in federal prison before becoming a pro wrestler and spending more years in a different type of prison, if you know what I'm saying. MVP's been working in Japan for the last few years. A lot of amazing stories about living there and wrestling in that culture. And now he has returned to the United States and he's uh, wrestling in TNA Impact Wrestling. He's going for the championship this week. Also had a pretty bad knee injury. We're going to find out exactly what the status is of MVP's knee, the status of his appearance this Sunday on the pay-per-view so wait and see what happens mvp is going to be here lots of stuff to talk about though i want to clear up something that happened uh on the last week's show with aj styles a- a- an amazing show aj very outspoken 
uh, very uh, outspoken towards TNA, got a lot of grievances that he aired on our show, and also brought up uh, the fact he's, he's wrestling on the independent scene right now, and about how, I guess, he was over in England and gave uh, his opponent the Styles Clash, which is a quite a simple move aesthetically, uh, to a guy called Lionheart, which, of course, was my old nickname. And suddenly a huge burst of controversy started out from a certain segment of people who were convinced that I, in my analysis of what AJ was uh, telling me, uh, was demeaning the UK independent wrestling scene in uh, some sort of shape or form and also demeaning a Lionheart. Couldn't be further from the truth. Now, I never apologize for what I say, but I want to explain what I say. And after 24 years in wrestling, I think um, I have an opinion that's valid, an opinion that, that comes from uh, not from uh, being uh, you know, you know, pretentious or uh, kind of saying things off the cuff. These things are things that I'm saying from lots of experience, uh, completely directly uh, tied to me. Now... When AJ was talking about how Lionheart got hurt on the Styles Clash, I made a comment that when you go to certain leagues when you're on the independent scene, that a lot of times guys will say they can do moves that they can't do. And I was never saying that Lionheart did not know what he was doing. I've actually read about him in uh, FSM magazine, Fighting Spirit magazine, out of... Out of the UK, I've seen a couple clips of Lionheart on YouTube. His name is Lionheart, so how could I not like that? Um, so I, I also the same thing with all of the the people and the uh, the uh, companies in the UK. Um, in no way do I demean any independent companies or any independent wrestler because I was one of them at some point in time. I traveled the world before I got into ECW. I spent a lot of time in Hamburg with guys that had spent lots of time on the UK independent quote-unquote wrestling scene. Robbie Brookside, Doc Dean, uh, Johnny South, Johnny Saint, Boston Blackie. You know, um, a lot of guys like that from kind of the the, the Drew Drew McDonald. Uh, so so when you say that I'm demeaning the UK wrestling scene, I'm really not because I spent a lot of time with those guys. I did make a comment that if if you go to work for World British Super Duper Championship Motocross Wrestling and maybe work with the champion, that maybe that champion isn't as good as he says he is. Now I say that uh, use the what did I say? World British Super Duper Championship Motocross Wrestling as an example to say there's a lot of promotions out there. I could have easily just have said Farm Fresh, Haystack, West Virginia, Super Duper Championship Wrestling. Okay, would that have made all you people in the UK feel better? Then I would have hurt the feelings of the people in, West, in Beckley, West Virginia. What I was saying is that you, there's a lot of promotions around the world. Some of them are huge, like WWE. Some of them are not. A lot of performers and wrestlers in those companies. Some of them are great. Some of them are so-so. Some of them aren't very good. And that goes with my the same thing I would say in WWE as, as well as World British Super Duper Championship Motocross Wrestling. My point is that a lot of guys sometimes will say that they're better uh, than they really are. And you know, you never really know until you get into the ring with them. I remember when I was training way back in 1990 that uh, Lance and I were working in our brother's pro wrestling training camp. And uh, one of the guys who was kind of our trainer said, oh, yes, we've got this guy coming in today. He's a promoter. He promotes outside of Calgary. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like outside of Calgary, where? Like Vancouver or Toronto or Chicago or 
you know, Mexico. Uh, where do you promote? I promote Innisfail. Innisfail is a little town about, I don't know, 30 miles outside of Calgary. So this was the guy who was promoting outside of Calgary, but they were making it sound like he was the bee's knees. The bee's knees? The bee's knees! Uh, he wasn't the bee's knees. I'm not going to mention his name, but he was not very good. Uh, he was a judge. It was his wrestling uh, gimmick. And he was the champion. And he was the champion because he owned the uh, the wrestling company, which I believe was called International Canadian Championship Wrestling or something. Or maybe it was the CWWC or CCWC, something along those lines. It might as well have been called... Uh, <laughs> it might as well have been called World British Super Duper Championship Motocross Wrestling. And when I saw the guy wrestle, I was like, this guy is awful. He's, he's the drizzling shits. Like, this guy is not any good at all. But because he was the owner of the company and the guy who was paying the bills, he made himself the champion. And, and there you go. So if you were coming in as an AJ Styles to CWWC, Championship Canadian Wrestling Connection. Maybe it was the Canadian Wrestling Connection. Maybe it was the CWC. And you, you knew, oh, I'm working with the champion. He's the judge. And then you go in there and realize that the judge is actually, you know, the the smudge because <laughs> he ain't very good. Then you got your work cut out for you. And that was my point that I was making to AJ. And some people were like, well, of course, Jericho was agreeing with his guest and didn't even know the situation. Uh, I have a guest on because I respect them. I respect AJ Styles uh, inherently, incessantly, all the work that he's done. I've seen plenty of his matches that blew my mind. I think he's one of the best workers uh, actual pure wrestlers in the business today. So if he tells me about a, a tale that he had, then I'm going to agree with him uh, or at least listen to him and be on his side because I have respect for AJ Styles. That doesn't mean I don't have respect for Lionheart or for wrestling in England or for wrestling in Beckley, West Virginia or anything. I'm just merely saying that in my travels and trails that I have come across guys who claim to have been better than they are. Um, so, that's kind of how that whole thing went down. Not demeaning the UK wrestling scene in any way, shape, or form. Uh, some of my favorite performers of all time are English uh, from the UK. And I have had some amazing matches against UK wrestlers and had some amazing, ma amazing matches in the UK. And also, too, the UK has by far some of the greatest wrestling fans in the entire world. So hopefully that clears things up, although some people will probably be mad about what I just said right now. And if that's the case, well, I got two words for you. <laughs> Good old-fashioned Jericho Raspberry for you. <laughs> you can't please all the people all the time. And whether you like what I said or don't like what I said, my point is I have nothing against uh, the UK wrestling scene, no demeaning any in any way, shape, or form. And Lionheart, uh, like I said, nothing against him either. He works hard. He's working his way up the ranks the same way that I did, and that's all you can ever do. So uh, much respect to anybody that's ever strapped on the boots. Some guys are better than others. It's not the fact that they're in the ring that bothers me sometimes. It's the bravado that certain guys use um, that claim they're better than they really are, which could end up being dangerous for, for, for the guy. And for the guy wrestling him, if it's me or if it's AJ or if it's you or whoever. And there's not one wrestler in the history of the business who won't agree with me. So don't even try and debate me or argue with me. Uh, anybody who doesn't like what I'm saying, I will not be taking any questions about this on Twitter um, or ever again. Case closed. Case closed. Somebody's going to get their ass kicked. Somebody's going to get their wig split. Somebody's going to get their ass kicked. Somebody's going to get their wig split. 
Beat him up, beat him up, break his neck, break his neck. Beat him up, beat him up, break his neck, break his neck. Beat him up, beat him up, break his neck, break his neck. Beat him up, beat him up, break his neck. Neck. Woo! There you go. A little palate cleanser. Get on to some other things. Uh, and plus, why would I ever demean the English wrestling scene or anybody in the UK when I'm going to be going to the UK tomorrow to uh, head over for a big week? A lot of shows, a lot of stuff going on, a real amalgamation of, of shows, which is the typical Jericho way of doing things, as you guys know. That's how I roll. Uh, June 12th and June 15th, it's London is Jericho. My one-man shows, Q&A shows. I'll be telling stories, uh, doing some tap dancing, some pie plate spinning, uh, imitations. I'm going to imitate Ricky Gervais. I'm going to imitate uh, Austin Powers. I'm going to imitate... Uh, I heard about this guy, this Darcy Oaks, I think his name is, a guy from Winnipeg, a, a son of a famous sportscaster in Winnipeg, who's now a magician on England's Got Talent, which is funny because he's from Winnipeg, so I guess he maybe squeaked in under the uh, the radar as a Canadian. Maybe he's a Canadian Englishman. Hello, how are you, eh? Oh, I'm going to go to a party, eh? So uh, good luck to Darcy, and good luck to me, London is Jericho. If you want to check out these shows, tickets are close to selling out. There's still a few available, and that's not just some kind of wrestling talk. This is actually the truth. We're about 80% capacity right now. So if you want to go to the show, do not miss out. Uh, June 12th, June 15th, it's coming up very, very quickly. That's a Thursday and a Sunday, this Thursday and this Sunday. And you can get those tickets on... Uh, how can you get them? Well, I'm going to tell you you can get them. You can get them at psievents.co.uk. That's www.psievents.co.uk. I believe that most of the VIP tickets are sold out, but you can still get some good seats to the show. And it's going to be a, a great conversation between me and all of you, me and all my uh, UK Jerichoholics talking about WWE, WCW, ECW, talking about Fozzie, talking about Download, talking about all the different things that I've done. And I'm looking forward to it. <clears throat> I always like hanging out with my buds over in the UK. So that is June 12th and 15th. Of course, June 14th. Fozzie, main stage of Download, the biggest festival of the summer. We are going on at noon, kind of early, but on the main stage, there will be 50,000, 60,000 people there. I'm so stoked and, and ready to just completely go nuts and rock it. And if you saw us in 2012, you know how much we bring it when we come to the UK or any show that we do. And we are going to continue that this year, main stage of Download. I've been so excited about it. I think a couple of years ago I said if we ever make it to the main stage, I would drink a cup of pee which a lot of people are calling me on, but I, I, I think I'm going to rephrase that if we ever get to the main uh, event of, of the main stage. So if we're on playing last or second last, I will drink a cup of pee on stage. So there you go. That'll be my production. Something to look forward to. There will be no pee drinking this time. Just a whole lot of rock and roll for you. And also we'll be at the Kerrang! Signing Tent at 1.30 on Saturday. So come on down. That apparently is already uh, completely going to be overpacked, oversold for that too. But come and hang out with us and come rock and roll as we always do. Of course, July 22nd, Do You Want to Start a War by Fozzie is going to be released. If you want to pre-order it, we would love if you would do that for us. You can go to iTunes or Amazon, pre-order Do You Want to Start a War, and you can hear one crazed anarchist before anybody else does. Before the record gets released, of course, lights go out now, already uh, burning its way up the charts. It's already in the 40s, higher than Sandpaper was after only two weeks of radio. So we're expecting it to go top 20. 
maybe even top 10. That's my prediction. Uh, so go check those out. And also join me at Tweet Secret. Go to Tweet Secret, uh, the app on iTunes, and you can get exclusive videos sent directly to your device from me. I do about one a day, and it's content that you won't see anywhere else, and you're going to love it, just like you love Talk is Jericho. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is Jericho. All right, on the line, uh, my buddy, my pal, still not completely sure what MVP stands for. Montel uh, Vesuvius Portnoy? Close enough. Close enough. <laughs> what, what was it that? What did it originally stand for? Uh, Montel Vontavius Porter, right? Nice. The Vontavius is what got me uh, mixed up there, man. <laughs> yeah. Now, it's, it's good to talk to you, dude. It's, it's been a little while. Um, unfortunately, you were supposed to come into the studio today but you couldn't because you got injured in England. Is that is that what happened? Yeah, Friday night. Um, I went out to uh, to do PCW UK, Preston City Wrestling. Real good group. Um, um, awesome locker room. The uh, the promoter was you know good business. And uh, at the end of the tag match, uh, I was feeding for the comeback, and I just felt my knee pop, hmm. and uh, couldn't put any more weight on it, and. Uh, and it was real cool because uh, I, I crawled to the back and Loki and uh, Hurricane Helms were waiting for me at the curtain mm. and uh, shoulders ready because I couldn't put any weight on it. They literally had to carry me up the steps. Wow. And uh, Hurricane said, yeah, you know, a typical hurricane fashion. Mm. Yeah, man, we knew you was hurt because you can't sell that good. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that's the worst feeling, too. Um, you always say that you always, you know when you're really hurt when you don't even sell it. Like, you can't even pretend that you're hurt because you're really hurt. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 exactly. It's, and it's always the way, too. You, 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 you know, you take a bump, you do a superplex, whatever it is, and it's sometimes just from running across the ring, right? That's all it takes. Yeah, and that's what everybody was saying. We were sitting in the back laughing about it because, you know, as you very well know, you know, you're, the, the, the serious injuries never come from anything dramatic. You know? Yeah. You got to fall backwards from a ladder through a table, and then you would think, oh, my God, he broke his neck. Mm-hmm. And they're but uh, he, you know, goes to do a leapfrog and blows his ACL. You know. Now, what was, did you have to go to the hospital in England? Yeah, I went to the hospital the next day. Got an X-ray done. Um, that whole nationalized healthcare is a pretty cool concept. Um, they uh, they gave me an X-ray, which was inconclusive, but I knew it would be because it was soft tissue damage. And uh, they gave me some crutches and then gave me an anti-inflammatory and sent me on my way. So I went back to the show the next night, and I went out to my crutches and apologized to everybody and said, hey, it's not ballet. You know, last night I got hurt. I'm sorry, but uh, I will be back. And, you know, when I get better, I'll leave you guys a match. And mm-hmm. it was real cool. Was there, 
Was there a difference between uh, American hospitals and English hospitals? I don't know if I've ever been in an English one before. I know some European ones are a little bit sketchy. Um, no, to be honest, man, my uh, my experience was real good, and it was pretty much uh, like anything I had been to in the U.S., yeah. Okay. Uh, the whole, yeah, it wasn't like some of the horror stories I've heard about hospitals in Japan. Or, <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Well, nothing like that at all. I was, the whole time, I was actually really comfortable. It was cool. How, what, what they, uh, go ahead. They gave uh, the, the crutches that they gave me were like, uh, you, know, you know, Jimmy from South Park. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, the, like the the rickets crutches or whatever. <laughs> yeah, with the little hand, uh, the little uh, round circles in them, kind of thing with the handle on the side. Yeah, and I'm like, you guys don't have regular crutches, and like, no, nah, we don't use those. And uh, I'm, I'm so I'm hobbling around on those things, and it's like doing a, a perpetual set of dips. <laughs> and um, when I get to Holland, I said, well, let me see if I can find some over here. And the guy. When I asked him, he said, you, you mean like the kind they used to give to the soldiers back in the war? <laughs> what are you talking about? And he said, we haven't seen those though, uh, here in Holland in uh, 20 years. <laughs> so whatever it is in Europe, they don't give old school to me or normal crutches. They give them the Jimmy, the Jimmy crutches. <laughs> Jimmy crutches. So, you, yeah. so you actually stayed uh, on the tour and continued to another country, not just the next show in England, but you went to Holland after uh, as well. Yeah, I was booked uh, for Dutch Pro Wrestling. And, um, you know, at this point, you know how it is, man. You, you, you know how injured you are. Yeah. I knew, you know, I had an idea how bad it was. I don't know. Let me take that back. I didn't know exactly how bad it was. But I knew it couldn't be any worse. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you know, I'd spoken to the promoters in, in, uh, over in Holland. And, you know, the people had paid, and, uh, paid their money to see me and had driven a long way. Mm-hmm. And... For me not to go, uh, even though I could have, you know, I just said, "Now what the hell, man? Let me finish out this tour." And uh, even though it was pretty inconvenient, um, I think you know we we uh, ended up putting on a good show in the end. I played uh, a GM role, which mm-hmm. I've been doing on TV, and uh, it was real good. The crowd was happy to meet and greet. Everybody was real supportive, and they were like, "Hey, you know, we hope you, you come back and you wrestle for us next time." and and you know, I absolutely will. So it was cool. And then everybody got to, uh, I mean, I didn't get to wrestle, but uh, the people that came out to see me got a chance to meet me and get a picture. And I was, you know, still able to interact. Mm-hmm. And uh, then it was on to Amsterdam for two days because, I mean, my ticket wasn't to leave until Wednesday anyhow. And me and Chris Masters were like, man, you know, we're, uh, we're going to go ahead and tough it out and have a story to tell. <laughs> and kind of uh, take care of some of your nerves in Amsterdam, I'm sure. <laughs> now, you, you mentioned something earlier that that's uh it's indicative of being a long time pro wrestler when you said you know how hurt you are like when you get injured you just know like okay that will go away in a couple of days that's a little bit serious that one's going to be a problem we just know our bodies so well from doing this day in day out year after year you can tell right away you know the severity of the injury pretty much the moment that it happens yeah usually and then it's funny because i told the uh, the doctor the it was a kid uh gareth if you're listening to that this podcast and giving you a shout out real cool he was the one that uh <laughs> picked me up and took me to the hospital and pushed me around and stayed with me all day. Um, I told him exactly what was going to happen. Because with my right knee, I've had it scoped twice before. I've had MRIs. It's just been, you know, my my uh, gimmick knee, you know? Mm-hmm. 
I told him, I said, they're going to do an x-ray. The doctor's going to look at it. She's going to tug on it a little bit, and she's going to say that, you know, the x-ray is going to be inconclusive, and she's going to tell me I need an MRI, and they're going to give me an anti-inflammatory and a painkiller. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I through the procedure. I know, you know. And uh, sure enough, you know, when I spoke to the doctor, and as a matter of fact, here's a scoop on your show. I went to the doctor today, mm-hmm. and the uh, doctor uh, was an athlete, and he had had his knee scope before. So he, in his experience, uh, knew enough to take into account my experience with the knee, and uh, we decided that we're going to hold off on an MRI. Uh, is, at this point, it seems like I have a torn meniscus, but um, I'm putting weight on it today. Hmm. So... Um, Regarding my knee and whether or not I'll be able to go this Sunday, that's a conversation that I'm having, um, you know, currently with uh, with Creative, and um, we'll see what happens, man. I, I, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that I can go, you know, icing it and taking care of it. And, and it's weird because as we were saying about knowing how hurt you are, I've had these injuries in the past where I would, you know, be rolling in jujitsu, feel my knee pop, mm-hmm. and have a terrible limp for two days and, and on day three it's like nothing happened it's absolutely right fine. yeah yeah, yeah. You know, so so, so why, why did you decide to what was the doctor's mindset in holding off on the MRI uh, because he said that uh, if, if, I, if I intend to go ahead and wrestle on it in the event that I do more damage to it we may as well wait until after oh I see so kind of waiting to see if you actually because if you can keep putting support on it you're going to go have the match here regardless show must go on right Absolutely, yeah. I just take the hell out of it. He gave me a cortisone shot, and uh, and you know it, it feels better every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping this will be one of those instances where, hey, just a few days ago I couldn't walk, but you know as of right now, man, I'm ready to go up there and you know knock you know knock out 20 minutes. Right. Yeah, because it's a, it's a championship match, uh, correct? Yeah. That's yeah, for the uh, TNA World Heavyweight anyway, Right, title. yeah, championship match, main event of the pay-per-view. And, and you mentioned TNA, and you just uh, you just started, you appeared there probably, I think, a month ago or six weeks ago, and you've kind of taken the lead as, as one of the main characters on the show, one of the focal points of the show, and, and rightfully so. I mean, it was a big deal to have you come back to wrestle in the States, and what were your what was your mindset to go uh, to, to debut for TNA in the first place, and how do you like it so far? back up just a little bit as you know better than just about anyone um <clears throat> i had an absolute love affair with japanese wrestling right yes so when uh, uh, uh my you know my dream as i've said many times and people who know me know that my dream was to wrestle in the tokyo dome hmm. so, wwe was always my goal but new japan was my dream when i was sitting on the couch you know watching tapes dreams of, of the IWGP heavyweight title and the triple crown you know, mm-hmm. what I, and all the guys that I looked up to had cut their teeth in Japan and you know you and, and, and Benoit and Eddie and, and, and mm-hmm. Dean and Fit and you know, just a list of all these guys that you know had, had made their rounds and to me if you made it in Japan then okay you know you're one of those guys I could check off the list as, as, as a legit pro wrestler yeah and you're right because that that kind of was the way you did it, especially in the late '90s or mid '90s. Was 
you know, you would go work locally and then you would go to Mexico or Germany and then you would go to Japan, and especially guys that were kind of the, the, the middleweight wrestlers. You could really do well there and make a name for yourself. Cause I was exactly the same. When I started, I was watching Wild Pegasus and, and Black Tiger and Ultimate Dragon and Jushin Liger and Flying Scorpio. And that's why I called myself Lionheart because I wanted to be named an animal, just like all of my favorite guys that were working in Japan. So, you know, a few years later, you're doing the same thing. How did you get turned on to Japanese wrestling? Magic man, mm. uh, <laughs> uh, he was the one that introduced me to Japanese wrestling. Um, I, I, I'll never forget the, the first Japanese wrestling he showed me actually was a tag match with uh, uh, Manami Toyota, and, and I forget who her partner was against. Uh, the, they're talking about the, the golden era of, of Japanese women wrestling, Manami Toyota and Bolnakano and uh, Akira Tawe and those and those uh, no, Akira Hakuto, I mean those those girls. Hakuto, yeah, but it was one of those ridiculously thick, brutally stiff matches with all kinds of unbelievably flexible suplexes. And, <laughs> and then it, and it, when, on, on the, on the, when the bell came, there was a one, two, three. I remember saying that was one of the sickest matches I've ever seen, only to realize that was the first fall. Like, oh, <laughs> still got two more to go. Yeah, I think that was the best match I'd ever seen. And then, you know, I got turned on to the, 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 the epic triple crown battles between uh, 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 Kawada and Misawa. You know, the first time I saw Tiger Driver 91, I was like, that's everything that I've been taught not to do. And <laughs> which, was, which was basically kind of a power bomb where you landed the guy straight on top of his head. Yeah, just like, just recklessly brutal and horrible. But I, when I saw that, I said, hey, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, you know, you know I had, there was a get to a point in my career with WWE where I said, hey, look, you know, I'd, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to go to Japan, and, and, and I needed to recharge my battery. I was, it was just at a point for me where, you know, I was going to work. Mm-hmm. And I became a wrestler because I didn't want to go to work. I didn't want to have a job. <laughs> and uh, I needed to recharge my batteries. And fortunately, WWE was cool about letting me go. And I spent the, the next two years as a regular. So did you go Did you go talk to Vince and tell him, like, listen, man, I, I got to get out of here for a while and go to Japan? Or how did you approach that? It's funny, I talked to Johnny, and because he and I had uh, often knocked down a few beers, and I would uh, have him regale me with uh, with tales of his years in, in, in all Japan, mm-hmm. and working with you know some of the legends. So we, we had always bonded over that, and uh, <laughs> truth be told, when I wanted it, when I wanted my uh, release, I remember Carlito telling me he asked for his, and Vince talked him out of it. Oh, yeah. Chavo asked his, and Vince talked him out of it. And somebody else told me that they asked for theirs, and Vince talked them out of it. So I said, I'm going to ask Johnny. And if Vince <laughs> tells me to Jim, then I'll go. But if I can get Jim, if I can go and I get Johnny to intercede, then maybe I won't fall for the... The Jedi, the, the Vince the, Jedi mind trick? McMahon mind trick, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Where you would go in convinced, like, I am not going to do this, or this is exactly what I'm going to tell him, and you would walk out with the exact opposite uh, answer and be happy about it for about 30 seconds until you realized, he just swindled me. He totally just minute. made me do exactly what I said I wasn't going to do, and I didn't even realize it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah that's exactly and, and fortunately, I got a call a few days later, and I said, hey, you know, it's cool. Um, go ahead to Japan and uh, you know doors open when you're ready to come back 
And I said, thanks a lot. And I spent the next two years as a regular for New Japan and had the time of my life, dude. It's like my batteries were recharged. First time working in Cork and Hall. And as you recall, I called you a number of times <laughs> yeah. for, and then to share my experiences with you. And, uh, you know, the first time I was, you know, uh, in a match with, with, with Liger and I got a chance to hear him say, that's how he would call the match. Okay, you something, 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 action, action, action. Then I come back something, and then more action. <laughs> I just burst into hysterics. You know, he, he doesn't know why, but I know. I mean, you know, it was just such a great time. Just um, going into uh, to Rivera Steakhouse and realizing that hey, my picture is actually still there. It's not, you know, they don't take it down. You know, I, I would show up. Just to see, I wouldn't call and let them know. I would show up and like, ah, oh, okay, my picture's still there. So, um, and I'm the first ever IWGP Intercontinental Champion. That's so it. like. And, and over know, there, anytime they give a foreigner a Gaijing uh, a championship title, it's a big deal. Yeah. So for me to be, you know, to go to Japan, work for New Japan, and for them to launch a title on me to, you know, introduce and put me over in a tournament to, to be the first uh, guy to hold that title. You know, I, I understood the gravity of that. And that was like mm-hmm. the biggest, you know, besides, you know, headlining, uh, headlining the Wrestle Kingdom for the IWGP heavyweight title. You know, that was the next best thing they could have done for me. And, and they did. It was just awesome. I, it was everything I dreamed it would be. Man. What were some um, of the biggest differences that you noticed between Japanese wrestling and WWE wrestling? As far as the show is concerned, from a from a fan's perspective, um, to sum it up, it's more sport than spectacle. Mm-hmm. You don't have minute long promo segments. You know, it's, you, you, the, the soap opera exists more in the physicality than in the verbiage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, if guys do have a verbal exchange, it's very short. <laughs> it's <laughs> not. Uh, it doesn't take up a lot of time. Basically, the guys, hey, you're a coward. You won't face me for the title. Oh, you're, you're a liar. Yes, I will. Okay, I'll see you next month. Done. Crowd pops. <laughs> <laughs> Which are horrible insults over there. You're a coward. Well, you're a liar. Oh, wow. I can't believe uh, he said that. Oh, disrespected his honor. You know? and, <laughs> uh, and, I, and I think that's great. Also, the physicality. I mean, I enjoy you know the fact that you know over there you got to bring your A game, especially you know and then like us, like anywhere else for a pay per view or you know for TV, you know everything comes a little harder and everyone's moving a little quicker and mm-hmm. you know for the towns everybody you know takes 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 it down a few notches. You know that's the first time I heard somebody say easy uh, tonight. Okay, easy. Like, <laughs> yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah. So you know that's something that I really enjoyed a lot. Um, it's it's almost like it's twenty years ago still over there. Um, you know the KFA buses and and um, and the fact that you know there's still a lot of guys in the locker room that don't really speak English. So right. you got to be work. You know it, it's cool that you do have guys that can talk and you have guys that can interpret. But when you're out there in the ring, that's it, man. You're on your own. And if this guy can't speak English, you got to be able to work. And you know I think that that's uh, something that a lot of guys have. Uh, either have forgotten or just don't have the experience to really learn. Never even knew, right? Like, I used to look at it like, okay, when you throw somebody off the ropes um, or or you get thrown off the ropes, you've either got, okay, the guy's going to clothesline you, he's going to backdrop you, he's going to drop kick you, or he's going to drop down. And that's basically it. There's not a lot of options. You know what I mean? Like, if you just come running in and kind of think – 
one of these things is going to happen. That's just actually working. Like you said, there's no calling out these intricate, elaborate spots beforehand. You're just going move to move, and I beat you up for a bit, and you beat me up for a bit, and kind of see what happens after that. And, you know, that, but it, it's cool because, you know, I, I like the fact that, you know, when I'm over there working with a guy who doesn't speak my language, you know, this is the essence of the art that, that, that we study mm-hmm. in order for so long. This is the essence of it. You're in Mexico, you're in Japan, you're in Germany, and, and the bottom the, the, the bottom line, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's pro wrestling, and you right. have to know how to work, and it transcends language. You know, uh, I heard someone, I think it was Norman Smiley, that may have taught me, he said, you know, in Japan, they might not speak English, but they speak wrestling. Hmm. And, uh, and yeah. I mean, I was able to experience that, you know. So, you know, I had a I had a great time, but after two years, um, you know, I, I and, and you'll pop huge for this, I I developed an idea for a TV show mm-hmm. that I picked Lionsgate TV, um, Eli Frankel. He liked it, and um, I, uh, we entered into an agreement to, to try and sell it. And uh, I wanted to come back home so that I could focus on this project, and uh, I gave New Japan my notice and told them that, you know, that, uh, I needed to move on. I had some other things I wanted to do. And, you know, Jado and Gato, two guys that you know really well, mm-hmm. were an office to that. Now they're the bookers of the company. When I started with them in Japan when they were just young boys, in Mexico, actually, and now they're running the company. <laughs> yeah, now they're, yeah, that's why they be careful, right? Isn't that be careful who you... Uh... It's what Ozzy said, be careful who you see on the way up because you'll see them on the way down too. Exactly, <laughs> And those guys, I'm sure they got shot upon by a number of people who come to them today now looking for work. You know? Yeah, and they and suddenly can't speak English. <laughs> yeah, you know, go figure. Yeah, yeah, all of a sudden their English is real bad. Right? Yeah, whenever Japanese, uh, when you ask them a question that they don't want to answer, uh, suddenly their English kind of fails them a lot of times. And they don't quite understand the question when the answer yeah. is something that they think you don't want to hear. You know, you'll, this, you'll, you'll like this. I, I, when I was over there, I was actually trying to learn how to speak Japanese. Mm-hmm. Know, I, I'm always fascinated with the culture, the history. Um, you know, my home is decorated with antique katana and, and just, you know, all kinds of things that I brought back from Japan. So I actually tried to learn to speak the language. And uh, I think the boys kind of picked up on it. And instead of uh, what you would think where they tried to be more secretive, they actually tried to help me learn to speak Japanese. Oh, yeah. And, it was really cool, you know, when they would see me trying to read something and they'd come over and they'd, you know, help break it down for me. So uh, I learned how to say, um, which means, is, is, um, is it because I'm black? <laughs> I had a match with Kojima, who is a, a, a legend in Japan and one of my all-time favorites. You know, it was working him in the G1 Climax. It was a literal dream come true. And uh, I came out with a black eye. Mm-hmm. And Penzo, again, a legend over there, as you know, just, you know, a, a, one of the all-time greats. He comes over, ah, MVP, son, uh, you have a black eye? I said, yeah, man, uh, yesterday, Kojima-san, he gave uh, me black eye. And Kojima looks at me, I do? I said, yeah, Kojima-san. Why? Watashi ga kokujin dakara. The look on his face and the entire locker room got quiet. Like, you know, because you know how they are with respect and honor. And, and I just asked him if he punched me in the eye because I'm black. 
Kojima, no, 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 Kojima's son, love you. And then you know, I started laughing, and the whole locker room popped. Gato said, and why, why do you say, why do you say this? It's not just uh, Joe Don, eh? You know, it's a joke, right? Uh, maybe next time this joke don't make. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, too, when you go to Japan, uh, and, and trying to speak Japanese is very difficult because there is different uh, like accents and different dialects in different parts of the com- uh, country, like Sapporo Japanese is different from Osaka Japanese, different from Tokyo Japanese. So what you can do is learn how to speak broken English, which is what most of the Japanese wrestlers know how to speak. Like you say, hey, man, you want to go uh, get something to eat? Huh? Maybe you, me, go something eat? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you got to yeah, learn yeah. that dialect, right? Yeah, it's like a, 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 a wrestling patois, I dare say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> go eat something, maybe beer? beer. Yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. You want something uh, I, drink? You know, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> now, dude, I had the, the time of my life, and it's real cool because Gato told me, you know, hey, whenever you're ready, you know, doors open for you to come back. And fortunately, that's been a recurring theme. Well, that's that, great. You know, and that's what not, you want. You want to leave on good terms, on, on your own terms as well. Yeah, because when it's all said and done, I don't know exactly what, you know what, what's left. I, I've only got a few years left in my career. I'm 40. I don't want to do this much more, maybe two or three more years at the most. Mm-hmm. You know, I, not too much longer. Um, I, I still love it, but I just still want to be able to do it at a level where, you know, I'm I'm doing it sure. as good as everyone else. And if I can't, I don't want to stick around too long. Like, sadly, we've seen too many do. I want to, I want to walk away. I don't want to limp away. And, you know, we all got to limp away somewhere. But, you know, so uh, having said that, I have decided that when it's all said and done, what I would like to do is go over to Japan and uh, let my last tour be in Japan. And if, if I can work it out where I have my last match in the Tokyo Dome and put some Japanese kid over and call it a career, dude, I'm, that would be ideal for me. Did, I could say I've done everything I wanted to do. You know? Did you ever get to work in the Tokyo Dome yet? Oh, yeah, yeah. Good. Okay. Dude, man, I tried to get you to come out to be my tag partner. That's right. I forgot yeah. about that. And that was the year, I think, that I came back uh, in 2012 with the uh, Save Us vignettes, I believe it was. It's funny because, uh, because okay, again, you know, Chono, Masahiro Chono is like one of my one of my favorite dudes of all time. I, I, I ripped him off. Uh, so much <laughs> I do. And uh, again, in Japan, he and I met, got to be so cool. I mean, he's just such a great guy. He and his wife Martina, they always hit me up with Aristrus clothing in mm-hmm. mind. But we, uh, 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 Tiger Hattori told me that you know, hey, at the Tokyo Dome, we're going to bring in Chono to be your tag partner. Dude, I am over the moon. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is I'm retired now. My first WrestleMania was against Chris Benoit. My first Wrestle Kingdom of tagging with Chono. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> never get... But then I get the call that uh, because at the time Chono uh, was, you know, Inoki was doing IGF, and you know Inoki had, had, had the, the, the senpai kawaii relationship. Mm-hmm. Inoki told uh, Chono not to do it, so he had to bow out. Uh-huh. So asked, you know, is there anybody else that you you know that you can get? And that's when I hit you up. But you were already going back to uh, to the E. So, but I, I couldn't said, tell. Ah. I couldn't tell you though. I was like, well, maybe, uh, sort of, kind of, yeah, sure. <laughs> I, was like, ah, what the, what, I couldn't. And, but as, 
soon as it hit, I went, ah, okay, that's why. It makes sense now, okay. Yeah, because you were real non-committal, but, you know, you were like, dude, I would love to, but, I just, man, I, man, dude, I, I swear I would love to, but I can't. And uh, I'm like... Yeah, I... I, I I didn't want to disrespect you, but I couldn't tell you because you know how it is, man. You got to keep it secret from everybody. Totally, yeah. But like I said, as soon as it hit, I realized I see what time it is. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This, this is Talk is Jericho. We're back on the line here with MVP. Now i got to ask, what is the road that took you to TNA? Oh, well, that was one of the cool things. You know, when I came, when I came back, you know, I just took a year off. Mm-hmm. And I'm um, just trying to really focus on this uh, TV thing with Mayans Gate. And then at the time, dude, I immersed myself in jujitsu and just, just you know, just took the time off from wrestling just to do all the other things I wanted to do. And uh, during that time, you know, TNA had reached out to me a few times, and I had spoken to WWE a couple times. But I just came to the conclusion that, um, you know, when TNA came and told me that, hey, anything else you want to do, we'll support you. Mm-hmm. Any other project, we'll get behind you. And, you know, we'll give you a schedule that will allow you to still do what you love, but live your own life. Right. That at least was the deal breaker for me. I thought, man, okay, you know, because WWE, I've said this once, I'll say it a thousand times, you know, it, and then come, I can say that saved my life, you know, because um, the opportunity gave me an opportunity to become an international celebrity when... Society would give me a chance to make, you know, minimum wage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my my time there was awesome. It was tremendous. I loved it. But you know as well as anyone that when you work for the WWE, it consumes you. It's the center of the universe. It's, it is your life. Yeah. And I, I just, I, 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 I didn't want that anymore. And after spending two years in Japan working on that Japanese schedule where you're there for a month and then you're off for a month and you're mm-hmm. there for a few weeks and then you're home for a few weeks, um, you know, just it really worked out better for me when at the end of the day with the offer that TNA came with, and uh, and the fact that you know because there are other you do and I'm going to take this minute to, to to kiss your ass a bit, but you are a huge inspiration for so many of the boys, but for me in particular because in pro wrestling you did literally everything there is to do. You were the undisputed champion. You stepped out of pro wrestling. And, you know, I've always said that being a pro wrestler is the closest thing there is to being a rock star. What'd you do? You went out and became a real life <laughs> rock star. Uh, you're a best-selling author. You know, you're a, a pop culture icon on VH1. I mean, you have crossed so many different lines and just taken your talent, your ability, and spread it everywhere and said, hey, look, man, yeah, I'm a pro wrestler, one of the best ever, but I have all these other things that I could do. And... That's, you know, I, you're, you've inspired me to kind of want to follow in your footsteps in that regard because there's so many other things that I can do. I'm not just a pro wrestler. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do believe that I have a best-selling book in me. I just got to stop being lazy and get to write, you know. Um, <laughs> the other things that I can do that, you know, I want to start doing these things. And um, this this deal I got with Mike Gate for this TV show, hopefully, you know, we, I was out, just out in L.A. last week 
uh, took some pitch meetings. It went really, really well. So, you know, like, I want to spread my hustle like you have. And, uh, well, when you when you work in, in in wrestling in the WWE, I always call it show business boot camp, in that you learn a little bit about everything uh, about show business, live, behind the scenes, improv, scripted, comedy, drama, you know, everything in between. So, if you have some creativity inside of you, working in the WWE just just broadens those horizons for sure and makes you more than ready for, for the outside entertainment world because that's what we've been doing for, for years and years and years. And, dude, it's so amazing when you find yourself as, uh, on going from pro wrestling, as you said, and that's, that's the perfect characterization. Showbiz boot camp. Mm-hmm. That, that's perfect. Because you know, when you find yourself on the set of, 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 of a Hollywood production you know, or something done along those lines, it's, it's and, and I mean no disrespect, but by comparison, it seems easy. And then yeah. uh, you have multiple takes, you know, if you make a mistake. And, or, That's right. You know, we get that from a different light, you know, and or we're not, and they actually take care of you and they care. And here, can, you know, can we look out? There's no, there's no instant, uh, you know, there's no ogre breathing down your neck. You know, it's a whole different situation. And it, it, it's pretty cool. And then having that opportunity, I go, wow, man, you know, okay, I, I guess you can get used to anything and complain about anything. But once you've been through pro wrestling, especially at the highest levels, and that prepares you, I think, to be able to handle the, the rigors of, of, uh, I, yeah. it also, general. it also, uh, I always hear that anybody that comes out of the pro wrestling world has a great work ethic, uh, in, in, you know, other, other showbiz opportunities, because that's how we're trained is you have a great work ethic. You leave your ego at the door, you get in there, you get the job done and you make it good no matter what. And that's kind of what we're expected to do on a nightly basis. So when you bring that attitude into Hollywood, so to speak, or music or whatever it is, a lot of people are surprised. I can't believe that you want to work so hard. Well, why wouldn't I? That's what I do. But a lot of people don't have that mindset and have that attitude. Yeah, but like you said, for us, you know, it was just, you know, if you wanted to be successful in our business, you, there was no other way. That's right. You know, but, you, you weren't going to have any level of success if you didn't have that kind of tenacity. You know, hey, I'm hurt, but I'm still working anyway because this is what we do. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, and you've mentioned the the show that you're pitching a few times. I don't know if you want to get into what it's about, but you also mentioned that Vince gave you the opportunity that society would not give you, uh, and that's because you spent a considerable time in jail, in prison. Uh, yeah. Tell us, for what were you in there for? How long were you in there for? Uh, kind of explain the circumstances behind that. Um, the Reader's Digest version is uh, me and a couple other people put together this Ocean's Eleven-esque plot to rob a casino. And um, we succeeded for the most part. But... Um, you know, I one of the guys involved, his dad found him with a bunch of cash and took out a second mortgage on the house to mm. get an attorney, and um, he ended up uh, becoming the uh, state's witness and gave everybody up. So, so I you you pulled up. you pulled off the caper, but afterwards, wait, but after the fact, yeah, after the fact, 
you know, we had, you know, Florida Department of Law Enforcement, FBI, and it was a big deal. There were a lot of people looking for us, and we pretty much, you know, got away. But, you know, that kind of house of cards, a few things fell. And mm. I, I, I flexed to the West Coast. I was out in California, and, you know, my father said, hey, look, man, they're looking for you. This is serious. You need to come back before, you know, it gets dangerous for you. Back to Miami? And, yeah. Mm. So I ended up coming back home, and, and long story short, after spending a year in the county jail uh, facing multiple, I had one count of armed robbery, ten counts of armed kidnapping, and because wow. uh, in the state of Florida, if you lock someone up against their will to facilitate a robbery, that's kidnapping. And uh, there were ten people in the casino, so each one of those is a, pun- a felony punishable by up to life in prison. Wow. And, uh, after spending a year in the county jail, I finally accepted a plea for 18 and a half years with uh, three years mandatory for the uh, for the shot for the sawed-off shotgun that I used. And uh, at that point, uh, 17 years, <laughs> I was shipped off to the Florida State Department of Corrections. And you were and, 17 uh, years old. 17, yeah. Wow. And I uh, spent the next. Uh, yeah, it's been the next eight and a half years as a guest of uh, the Florida Department of Corrections. That's why I tell people, if uh, I tell people I, I graduated from Florida State, but not the university. <laughs> Florida State Prison, that is. I used to say all the time, if, 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 if seen as a doctor of thugonomics, then, then I'm professor emeritus. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, let me tell you this. I mean, I've had uh, you know a few experiences of being locked up overnight in jail. Uh, it drove me crazy, man. I mean, just thinking about it now just makes me go nuts. How do you deal with being in prison for eight and a half years? I mean, where is the transition from like, I got to get out of here to this is my life now. I don't know when I'm getting out. Oh, man, for different people, it comes at different times, if it comes ever. And I spent a year in the county jail and then the next eight and a half in prison, so it was nine and a half total. Wow. Um, 16 when I went in and 26 when I came home. So when you're 16, 17, 18, I, you know, I don't think the gravity of things hits you the same way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because you're young, you're invincible, you know, you're going to live forever. Um, and, you know, after sitting in the county jail for the better part of a year, you know, Stephen got sentenced to 30 years, accepting plea bargains. For thirty years, twenty five years, you know, I was like, wow, this is <laughs> this is serious, man. And uh when I finally just, you know, said, Hey man, I'm ready to go, let's get this let's get this over with and I accepted my plea, you know, like I had been in in this in, in the county jail for a year. And people don't realize there's a huge difference between jail and prison. Jail is where you sit while you await or go through trial. Prison is where you sit where you're sent when you're sentenced. And in prison, you know, you get to move around, there's a yard, there's, you know, different, you know, in jail, you're just in a cell. Or, mm. or maybe you cluster cells around one main day room, but you don't really go anywhere. You're just stuck in that housing unit for months on end. And, uh, you know, they might have a different rec area or something, but, you know, you're just stuck. So after a year of that, you know, going to prison is almost a relief. 
Hmm. So the county jail is worse because you don't really have like prisons more of like you have your routine and you have your life and you have, I don't know, like all I've seen is in the movies where you go to the mess hall and you go to the exercise yard. So they don't have that in the county jail. That's just in the prison. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, you know, and you know, it's funny because what I'm telling you right now is what my TV show essentially would be about. It's, uh, the concept of it is where I go around to different jails and prisons. I interview the guards and the inmates, and uh, I essentially teach you, the viewer, how to survive if you are locked up at that facility. Okay, right. So you're kind of um, uh, like giving like your review of the prisons. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, exactly. I'm like the Anthony Bourdain of prisons. <laughs> <laughs> So what what do you do in, in when you finally get out of county and you go to prison? What's what's a typical day in prison like? Oh well, there's no such thing as a typical day because, um, and again, this is you know what my show is going to get into. Every prison is different. You know, um, every facility that you're locked up at, you know, is, is different. They have different routines, different rules, different racial makeups that, that change the, the entire uh, climate of the prison. So, um, you know, yeah, you have a, a wake up and then breakfast, and then usually you have to report uh, some sort of a work assignment. Mm-hmm. And then you, then there's you know lunch, and then you usually report back to your work assignment, and then usually break for the day, then there's some yard time, and then it's usually to your. Uh, your housing unit, and there's you know, a day room for TV that you can watch for a couple hours, play cards, something like that, and lights out if you repeat the process. So what were some of the, the work routines that you'd have, like the jobs that you would do? Um, well, again, you know, it's, it's, like it's different, but in the state of Florida, when I was there, um, and you had, you know, everybody had a work assignment. There was no such thing as not having a job. So, you know, you might have been a house man where it was your assignment, your job to clean the, the housing unit, or you could work on inside grounds where you have to cut grass or pick up garbage or sweep sidewalks. Um, <clears throat> they have maintenance units, you know, the paint squad, you know, just any kind of work that needs to be done is done by the inmates. You know, you work mm. in the kitchen, three shifts of people working in the kitchen. You know, guys work in the plumbing squad, in the law library, all over. You know, the, the hospital orderlies. So uh, everybody has a job. Mm-hmm. You know, is, you know, you hope or you try to maneuver to get a good job. You know, and if you're kind of half that smart, maybe you got a little bit of an education, you could try to maneuver to get a job as a clerk. Mm-hmm. So you can work at the or, you know, you're not stuck on inside grounds cutting grass or, you know, something. Wow. You don't want to be... A lot of guys hate working in the kitchen because it's hot and it's nasty. But some guys prefer to work in the kitchen because in the kitchen, at least you can steal. So you can sell stuff on the compound and, you know, have some cigarette money, coffee money, whatever. What are you, what are you selling it for, though? Do you guys have money in prison? Oh, and again, like I said, they vary. But when I, when I first went in, yeah, they had cash. Hmm. And you were allowed to have up to a certain amount of cash on you at one time. And if you had anything more than that, then it's confiscated and you'd know, be in violation. Hmm. But what they realized at one point is that <laughs> they, uh, on draw day, let's say Wednesday is payday, um, let's say they pay out $1,000 to the compound. Um, well, you can only spend that cash in the commissary. And through the course of a week, you're only allowed to have $5 more. Um, you can draw 25 and you could have 30 Okay. So they would put a thousand out on the compound, but then coming back in through the commissary, 
only like 600 of that would come back. So huh. <laughs> the rest of that kept going. Right. So, and then that, you know, you had a thriving underground commerce, you know, the drugs and then just whatever you wanted. Mm -hmm. What so, was... Was there a lot of gang element in the prison or like cliques uh, in, inside like you see, like like I said, in TV shows and movies? You didn't really have the whole gang thing in Florida. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and you have that, you know, real bad in California, Texas, where you have a lot of the Mexican gangs that have uh, established themselves over the, over the generation. Mm -hmm. You know, really hold stuff down. In Florida, it was more broken up into race. And in a subcategory, you had the gangs, but, you know, most of the guys that, you know, were doing time in Florida weren't really into the gang thing back then. That was something that was relatively new, mm -hmm. especially among blacks in Florida. Like, they weren't really into the gang thing. It was more about where you were from, what part of the state you were from. Oh, okay. You know, down south, yeah. The Hispanics were more into the gang thing. And in, in, in the Florida prison system, the whites kind of just hung together because there were so few of them. You know, they just kind of had to stick tight just to, mm. to take care of it. Did you ever get in any, any fights or any altercations during uh, your time inside? Sure, sure. I mean, you know, the cool thing about it is if, you know, again, depending on where you're at, if you're smart, you can avoid a lot of conflict in prison. But I was young, you know, 17, 18, 19. So I was always playing basketball. And if you don't want to get into any fights in prison, stay off the basketball court because you're, <laughs> you're guaranteed to get into at least one fist fight. Yeah, but again, you know, nothing ever too, too serious. You know, a little fisticuffs, you know, hey, step around on the handball court and let's get this settled. You know, a couple of times, and then when I was in Glade CI, there were some little riots. So when in the middle of the night, these young knuckleheads rioting, slinging garbage cans and lockers through a dormitory, and it was pretty chaotic. <laughs> You know, nothing too bad. Nothing like the major Attica riots. Or yeah, yeah, like nothing that. Sons of Anarchy type things going on. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is Jericho. We're back with one of the cornerstones from TNA Impact Wrestling MVP. So we're talking about you being in Florida State Prison. Now, what were your thoughts about your future at that point? I mean, how did wrestling come into the picture for you? Dude, um, it's, it's weird, man, because... Uh... I, I, this is a story I enjoy telling. When I was in prison, I wasn't sure what my future was. I was hoping, hey, one day I'll get out of here and I'll try to get some sort of an education, try to get a decent job, and you know, just you know, live. Hopefully, mm -hmm. I. Uh, by the time I got to a work release, which is where you're, uh, you live at a facility, but you wear civilian clothes and they let you go out into society, get a job, and you come back at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and you're usually about a year or two away from being released. Um, I was at work release, and uh, that was the first time that I had seen ECW mm -hmm. and just being syndicated. And I used to come back, I used to go to AA just to get out of the dorm on Saturday nights. And mm -hmm. when we'd come back, they'd be in the middle of counting. So they'd hustle us into the TV room, and once count cleared, I'd be in there watching ECW. 
and there's a, an unwritten rule in the Florida State prison system, you know, where if a program's in progress, you can't change the channel. But, you know, they come in the first week, first two, three weeks, oh, man, it's all wrestling, man, it's all garbage, oh, man, we don't want to watch that. By the end of the month, it was standing room only. <laughs> right. <laughs> watching the same guys that were talking about that dumb fake. They were the first ones. Hey, man, hold, me, hold my chair, hold my chair. So, uh, you know, and I watched it. And I was like, man, what, what happened to wrestling, man? Because my mom used to take me to the Miami Beach Convention Center in the 70s. Mm-hmm. You know, my uncle used to sell popcorn there. So, you know, I, I, that's not the wrestling I saw. You know, this whole, you know, the whole attitude era, you know, this stuff was brand new. And uh, I remember being blown away by this this new spectacle I was seeing. And one of the correctional officers there was he was uh, an indie wrestler, and he would bring in tapes of indie shows. And you know, we started talking, and 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 I was like, you know, you know, how do you really do that without breaking each other's necks? Right. And, uh, yeah, he was like, hey, listen, man, I'm gonna start my own indie promotion, and you know, I know you're getting out of here soon. If you're interested, I'll teach you. And, and that was uh, the beginning of the end. Wow! So that so you, when you got out, you had a, a tentative idea like I want to get into wrestling. I'll see what happens uh, yeah. after that. Dude, it's so bizarre because I had no idea. Oh, I left out an important detail. That guy, Primetime Daryl D, was the guy who broke me into the business. He mm-hmm. brought in a video tape of an indie show that he was on, where he was uh, beefing with a guy uh, by the name of Soul Man Alex G, who was with the Soul Patrol from Global Wrestling. Uh huh. Soul Man Alex G. When I was in my ju- when I was first locked up in the juvenile detention center, uh, when I was 15 years old, like a, a decade before that. Yeah. So you know, I don't know. There was some kind of cosmic karma thing happening, but uh, Prime Time took me to Duke the Dumpster School. Remember, <laughs> you remember Duke the Dumpster? Yeah. <laughs> Back in the '90s, yeah. when everybody had to have an occupational gimmick. Exactly. Um, yeah, prime time. He he started training when I got out a few months. He called me up, started training me in his sister's backyard where he had a ring set up. He ended up having to take that down. He said, "I'm gonna take you to a friend of mine." To, you know, I felt like you know, like I was a Jedi or something. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna take a friend of mine to complete your training. And the guy he took me to was Soul Man Alex G. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Wait, man, you the dude I met when I was in Utah like ten years ago." <laughs> so, yeah, I was fresh out of prison, right back with this guy. And, uh, and he, he taught me my ABCs, one, two, threes. And then that's what Norman would come by, and then me and Norman ended up getting me real tight. Norman helped to polish me, and, and to, he, like I said, he turned me on to Japanese wrestling and English wrestling. Mm-hmm. He, Norman opened me up to the world of wrestling. He was the one that said, hey, man, you can do If you learn how to do this, you can do this all around the world, which is funny because Norman Smiley, we're talking about, we mentioned his name a few times, wrestled as Black Magic, was the first big match I ever had in Mexico was a championship match back in 91 with, uh, or 92, Jericho, uh, Lionheart Chris Jericho versus Black Magic for the uh, Mexican World Championship. And he he led me through a great match, man. And he didn't have to because I was just working in a small independent company, but he came in from the big leagues and and I had a great match with him, and it was completely up to him. And that's what got me the job in the big leagues in Mexico City. So I've always owed Norman Smiley for that, as do you as well, for, for all the stuff he helped you with early in your career. Oh, uh, yeah, no. I, he's, I, I tell people, 
there are two guys in the world that I know that if you come to me and tell me something bad about them, I will punch you in the face because you're lying. <laughs> and that's Armin Smiley and Ray Mysterio. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so how did you how did you end up getting the gig with with Vince? You get out of prison. And like you said, I mean, you can't even get a job at 7-Eleven at that point in a lot of cases. How do you end up working for one of the biggest entertainment companies on the planet? Uh, well, I spent five years on the NBC. I spent uh, four months over in Puerto Rico for uh, IWA, mm-hmm. where uh, Savio, that was his promotion at the time. And uh, I finally uh, went to, what was it? Oh, yeah, I finally got booked as an extra, and, you know, John, you know I confronted Johnny Ace one day, and I'm like, yo, man, tell me what I got to do to get hired. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we like you, we just don't have anything for you, come on, something we don't already have. And I had been working out on South Beach, doing uh, nightclub work and, and uh, um, security, nightclub security and bodyguard work, that kind of stuff, and <clears throat> it didn't hit me. You know, when I would see all these uh, pro athletes come through the club acting like the world owed them something, and, you know, some of these guys were, mm. you know, fourth-round draft picks that hadn't done anything, but they're showing up like, hey, you know, I'm so-and-so. We don't care, man. You, 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 there's a dress code, you know, whatever. Right. Uh, I was like, man, look, this hasn't been done in wrestling yet. This is a relatively new phenomenon. All you, every week, all you got to do is turn on ESPN, and there's some athlete saying or doing something stupid, getting himself in trouble. This is a, a gold mine of material. It's never ending. Mm-hmm. You just take out of the wrestling. So uh, I, I wrote up a treatment and uh, cut a couple promos and uh, uh, sent it in to, uh, to Laurinaitis. Actually, the real important part of our story is Ricky Santana, who's a good friend of mine who I met in Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. interceded my behalf because I was real, really worried they would steal my concept. Right, and use it for somebody else. Right, Ricky called Johnny, and then, you know, on his word, he said, look, man, here, you know, here you are. So I talked to Johnny, and I sent it to him, and uh, not long after that, I, I got a call, and uh, actually, they, they ribbed me on that, too. Ricky, uh, he gave me this real bad rib, where he was, uh, hey, listen, you know, my, my whole phone call log was missed calls from Ricky Santana, mm-hmm. and he was like, where you been? I'm like, dude, uh, what was wrong? He goes, man, New Japan, they were looking for somebody. They were looking for a, a young, muscular black guy to work on top of Chono. I'm like, dude, you're kidding me. He said, yeah, man, but they had to hear something by 3 o'clock. It's 3.30. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, Ricky, man, can, can you call him right now? He goes, no, nah, bud, they already went with some guy in California. Sorry. He said, you want the, you know, that's the bad news. You want the worst news? I'm like, oh, man, it's worse. He said, yeah. I said, uh, you know, uh, I talked to uh, WWE, and um, they don't want you out in OVW. And at this point, dude, I'm crushed. I'm thinking, nah, this is the end of my, this is everything. Yeah. Like, Japan, WWE, like, what am I going to do now? <laughs> what am I going to do with life? And um, he said, well, don't you want to know why they don't want you in OVW? And I'm like, sure, Rick, why don't they want me in OVW? Because they want you in Deep South, call John Hayes, he's going to give you a job. I'm like, oh, man, don't <laughs> play with my emotions like that, dude. <laughs> and, uh, was, what? Was your past, uh, you know, your past conviction, did that have any bearing at all? Did you ever hear about it at all? Yeah, it did. It kept me out of a couple countries. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, from, you know, I never had a direct conversation. Uh, but I know at one point that the legal department was working with me because uh, there was some concern that uh, from that time till now, 
that there was going to be some sort of new international regulation going into effect that could exclude me from other countries. Mm-hmm. I was working with the legal department on it, and I don't know this for an absolute fact, but you know there are some that say that that's what uh, precluded me from going further along than I did. And uh, you know, if that's the case, then yeah, that makes sense, and I but- can understand that. But, but but you never heard that from Vince as far as getting hired. Like you got hired, got sent to Deep South, and there was never an issue of like, well, we know that you're a convict, and we're not sure if this is the right fit. You never heard that at all. It was like this guy's out. He's you know he paid his debt to society. Now we're going to give him a job, type of thing. Give him a chance. You know that Vince, from what I understand, the conversations. You know there were questions about you know my my criminal history, right. how would it affect me being allowed in certain countries. But I guess the, the general consensus was that, you know, um, I've met enough of the qualifications that I'd be able to get into enough countries that I was worth the, the, the risk mm-hmm. for what the table potentially. And Vince made the decision and said, okay, we'll give this kid a shot. And at the end of the day, I, you know, I think they made the right call because the, the only country that I can remember directly that I could not get into was Thailand. Hmm. For the life, I could not understand why I couldn't get into Thailand, <laughs> where you can do lascivious things with children. That's okay, but something that I did twenty years ago, you know, as a, as a kid, a bad decision. You know, you're, hmm. you're still going to get out of your country, but all right, cool. But besides that, that's the only thing that I can think of. But I know it came up; it was a question, mm-hmm. and you know, the legal department was able to knock down most of those obstacles. Canada, you know, to this day, I, I'm rehabilitated in Canada. I just go to the border, show my papers, and I'm good. So, yeah, that, that wasn't an obstacle. But like you said, they did make the great call because you, you had a really good career in the WWE, made a real good impact, and now turning up in TNA and being kind of one of the top guys on the show, working for the World Heavyweight Championship, God willing, uh, on Sunday. What are your goals for, for TNA? What, what do you want to do in your time there? Uh, raise the profile, uh, inject some energy. What's kind of your, your, your mindset? Um, you know, you just hit it on the head. Um, I don't think that as, as as a single entity, I have the ability to, you know, raise the profile of TNA, but I can certainly bring some new eyeballs, some new interests. Um, I can certainly raise the energy and being a new, and anytime you have something new, it creates some interest, it creates new matchups. Um, oh. There's new storylines that I'm involved in. Um, Bobby Lashley, Ken, uh, Kenny King. Um, it's, the, the, the company is, is trying to hit a reset button with new faces, new talent. And, you know, I don't see myself as any savior because I'm, I'm, I'm realistic. I'm, I'm not that. But I love pro wrestling. And I'm, I'm not I'm not a brand whore when it comes to pro wrestling. I've never been as, as a kid. If they have guys had on boots and trunks and were body slamming each other, I wanted to watch. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think that in the locker room, I look at the talent that that surrounds me. There's some tremendously talented guys on that roster, and you know if I could just help, you know, raise the the profile even just a little bit, mm-hmm. where. Everybody else can can do what they continue to do, and we can get some momentum going. Because I'm for the boys, man. You know, at the end of the day, well, and I've always said this: the best, the 
most prosperous terms in the history of professional wrestling were during the Monday Night War. Sure. And, you know, at this stage of the game, you know, we lost about, what, 8 million of those viewers? You know, yeah. those people, they're out there somewhere. I don't know where they went. I'm not saying that, you know, TNA, you know, is, uh, has to or is expected to rise up and become, you know, the, the, this uh, challenger to, to, to the, the beast that is WWE. No, right. not at all. But an alternative for something different. Uh, you know, another place for the boys to go and work where, hey, man, you know, I, I love wrestling. I just don't want to do it 250 days a year. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it just uh, something different. You know, that's it, man. You know, for, for people to be able to watch a different product, different guys doing different things, you know, that's... That, that was the whole allure creatively. Right. That was the allure. Well, I mean, and, and you got the, the great opportunity, and like I said, making an impact so far. Uh, final question, dude. If you had to choose one or two of the, your favorite matches that you've ever been in, which ones come to mind? Oh, wow. Favorite matches ever. I hate these kind of questions, man. <laughs> you know, and, and I've been so fortunate in my career that I've been able to wrestle virtually every guy that I've looked up to. Mm-hmm. You know, as I said, you know, most of those guys were on that list of guys in Japan, with the exception of Eddie. And I never got a chance to wrestle Eddie. I never got a chance to wrestle Dean. But I got a chance to learn a lot from Dean. But mm-hmm. I got a chance to work with you. I got a chance to work with Fred Regal, um, you know, Benoit, Undertaker, you know, Shawn Michaels. I'm, you know, I've had a chance to wrestle with, you know, the guys that are at the top of everybody's list. And if I had to pick just one single match, I guess just because of it, it, I'd have to pick my WrestleMania match with Chris Benoit. Gotcha, man, yeah. And then the reason for that above all else is because, you know, Chris was my guy. That Mm. was the dude that I, you know, he was just the guy that I looked up to in terms of, you know, entering technicians, you know, the stuff, the guys who did in J-Cup, you know, this, all this stuff. And I, I just, he was that dude. So I had wrestled him hundreds of times while, you know, standing up in a nightclub watching my popes. You know, <laughs> right. We, 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 we wrestled in Cork and Hall. We wrestled, we've been all, I've wrestled everybody all over the world. But to be standing in the ring across from a guy who, you know, I dreamed about wrestling and be wrestling him on the biggest stage in pro wrestling. You know, to talk about it, I made it moment. Mm-hmm. You know, when you talk about dreams coming true and, you know, to stand there and to truly be in the moment of, of, of realizing the dream. Like, you know, you don't have to pinch yourself. When you wake up tomorrow, you'll still be in Detroit. This is real. This is your moment. <laughs> yeah. And, to, to be able to do that and then have a match that made a whole bunch of people go, oh, wow, we didn't know you could do that. Because all they had ever seen me do was, you know, run away from Kane or, you know, run away from The Undertaker. You know, <laughs> you know I was able to have a match where Chris said, okay, let's show them what you can do. Right. And if, if for no other reason, I'd have to say that because it was the pinnacle of 
the circumstances wow. behind it. Well, dude, I mean, you've had a great career, very inspirational, always one of my favorite guys to talk to. We're looking forward to your match on Sunday, whatever you can get out of it, your time in TNA, your 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 prison rating show. I know you've been doing some music. The tunes are really cool. Uh, you, you've done a great job in, in expanding your brand, my man, and it was, I'm really glad that we're able to, to do this today. I'm, I'm, I'm following behind you, bro. Hey, but you know what? In all this time that we talked, I'm pissed because we didn't talk music. I know. <laughs> that, that's two hours in itself, man. I know. The, good. It always, uh, the conversations go by so fast, but I know you're a big music guy, and uh, your stuff is really good, man. The songs you've been putting out are very cool, and I like the, the, the video where you're just hanging out in a hot tub with a bunch of hot chicks. That's the type of, why can't I, can't, why can't I do a video like that? You can. You're, you're Chris Jericho. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Well, good luck on Sunday, and hope everything works out with your knee. And it's uh, we'll see you down the road real soon, man. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Take care. And again, man, dude, I, I appreciate you being the inspiration that you have been, man. You keep doing what you're doing. I'll follow right behind you. No, vice versa, dude. Thanks, bro. I'll talk to you soon, Em. All right, later. Thanks to MVP for joining us. A great interview. Such a cool guy. Thanks to you for listening. And thanks for using my Amazon link every time you do your online shopping. It's really easy to find. Just go to podcastone.com. Click on the Keep Our Podcasts Free banner at the top of the page. Then click on Talk is Jericho. And you'll see all three of my Amazon links. UK, Canada, and everybody's going Amazon. Amazon USA! (laughs) Every time you do that, Amazon kicks back a little cashola to the show so we can keep doing this for you for free for twice a week. No extra hidden fees or hidden charges. You're just getting your shopping done and you're helping me out in the process. You want to test it out? Go to the Keep Our Podcast free banner at the top of the podcast1.com website. Hit Talk is Jericho. Go to Amazon and pre-order the new Fozzie record. Do you want to start a war? Do it right now. And you don't, do you, you want to hear something from it? You want, you need a little taste? You need a little uh, sample to make sure you're going to like it? All right. Let's check out Lights Go Out. Already at number 47 on the charts. As I'm saying this to you right now, let's see how high it can go. How high can you go? 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 I don't know how high you can go, but how high, how loud can you turn it up? Lights go out from Do You Want to Start a War? New Fozzy right here on Talk is Jericho. Colliding when the lights go out, we own the 
to hit me up on the twitter at talk is jericho i'm getting ready i'm getting giddy heading over to the uk we'll see you this thursday and sunday at london is jericho at leicester square and also june 14th in nottingham at the uh, donnington castle donnington the famous castle donnington will be there for download super excited i'll talk to you guys later this week from def leppard i got phil collin here on the show that's right Phil Collin, been in that band for over 30 years. He's the guy that doesn't wear a shirt. He's got a better physique than I do. We'll hear all about that. So much more to talk about. So we'll see you on Friday. Stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. In the meantime and in between time, that's it. Another edition of Talk is Jericho. Yeah, boy! You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. 